promised a, a rich and uh, uh, fun program today. And I think it's been that for these first couple hours. And here we are now in our final hour. Uh, I promised you on the back side of this hour a conversation with Morris Day. We just got word from Morris's camp uh, that he has a family emergency that he had to attend to. And so we uh, send out our prayers to Morris and his family. Hope all is well. I'm sure later today somebody will update me. Uh, but hope things are well with Morris. But we will not in the back half of this hour be joined by Morris Day, but we'll reschedule that immediately. He has a major event coming up, uh, he and the time, of course, an event coming up in July uh, that we want to uh, make you aware of. Uh, if you want to pop over to Vegas for a few days to hang out with Morris Day and the time, we'll tell you about that. We'll be getting uh, get him rebooked. Uh, and uh, there are some rumors I can't wait to talk to him about uh, that he is set to retire this year after this tour wraps. Um, so a great deal to talk to Morris Day about uh, once we get him rescheduled. But our apologies again, just got word that he is going to be unable to join us on the back half of this hour. But we will, I promise you, reschedule uh, Morris Day on this program in the days ahead, uh, likely next week, in fact, or the week after. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, let you know when that is. But want to just bring that to your attention in this hour, though, a conversation as scheduled at the top here uh, about uh, the fast paced technology driven world in which we live. And in that world. Um, cameras, uh, as you well know, uh, have become ubiquitous. Uh, don't I know it? Everywhere you go, um, somebody's got a camera. Why? Because we all have phones. <laughs> so camera uh, phones have become ubiquitous, uh, oftentimes capturing moments that are both mundane and moments that are extraordinary. Think about all the footage we've seen uh, over the previous years that come from somebody just whipping out their phone right quick and catching it on camera. So the question is this, what happens when a camera uh, is not just a camera. What happens when a camera becomes a tool for justice, a powerful medium through which marginalized communities and individuals can expose and confront systemic injustices? In his book, The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency, from MLK to Darnella Frazier, Phil Allen Jr. examines the transformative power of film and footage towards documenting and ultimately dismantling oppressive systems. This conversation was scheduled for 30 minutes, and now that Morris is not joining us today, we're going to take it the, take it the full hour. But trust me, i got more than enough questions <laughs> uh, to engage in uh, what I expect to be a rich dialogue uh, for the hour with Phil Allen Jr. Phil, good to have you on KBLA Talk 1580. Sir, how are you today? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here and have this conversation with you. It's an honor to to to, to have you have you on, and uh, just know for the rest of your life, you can tell folks you, you you sat in for Morris Day one day on uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, on KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, no, so I'm glad we have an hour. There's there's a lot in here, and uh, 30 minutes might not have done justice to it anyway. So we get a chance to just stretch out here. Mm -hmm. um, let me let me let me just um, start with this. Um, I'm always fascinated by persons who write books. I've written a few in my own career, but I'm always fascinated by people who come up with interesting ideas, uh, pardon the pun, to train their lens on. How did this become the subject matter uh, for you? Yes, great question. Um, actually, it started off um, going to Sundance, Sundance mm -hmm. Film Festival back in 2019. Um I took a class from my doctoral program, which I'm nearing completion of now. All right. And um, I saw a, a film called Always in Season. and It told the story of lynching, and it connected it to a young man who was found lynched uh, in North Carolina about 10 years ago now. Um, 
And so much of his story reminded me of my grandfather's story, who was killed in 1953, and my family never received justice um, for, for that murder. Um, and so I, the paper that I wrote was called The Prophetic Lens, and I talked about Dr. King's use of the camera for uh, actually for the success of the civil rights movement, he took advantage of the cameramen who were there Mm -hmm. to capture the violence and broadcast it to the nation and to the world. And so I wanted to, I was fascinated by that. And I hadn't really heard too much written on or spoken on um, how much he, how how potent the use of the camera was for King and um, decided to, to, to write this paper, but it wasn't until Derek Chauvin's trial, um, is it, what, two years ago now? Derek Chauvin's trial, where I saw the camera as the star witness. The video was the star witness mm-hmm. um, in that trial. And if it were not, I asked myself, if it were not for the camera, where we, we, would we even be here? And I said, I have to take this paper and expound on this idea and write this book. And so I did. Mm. Um, I'm glad you did. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that you are nearing the end of that Ph.D. <laughs> program. I know that, that, those Ph.D. programs ain't easy to navigate your way through. So uh, I'm going to yes, congratulate sir. you early on, on just nearing the end of it <laughs> before you uh, walk yeah. across the stage with your cap and gown. I, I know those Ph.D. programs take a lot of work. So congrats on just getting this far in the program. But I'm glad you, you trained you. your trained your, your, your lens on this. Um, when you think about MLK and the way that um, he encouraged um, those cameras around him to share a story with America that it needed to see. Um, what, 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 comes to, what comes to my mind um, is the moment that the nation saw those black boys and black girls in Bombingham, as they called it then, mm-hmm. Birmingham, Alabama, they called it Bombingham, when the nation saw those precious babies with water hoses being turned on them and dogs being sicked on them. When, when King, um, you know, wanted the nation to see that and the nation of course had to come to terms with what they were witnessing in real time that was happening to, to black babies. It fundamentally changed the civil rights movement as we know it. That was a critical, seminal moment in the civil rights movement when America saw that. When you think about that, you think what, specifically? I think about ingenuity. I think about creativity. I think about the spontaneity, um, the presence of mind. Um, that, that wasn't an easy decision to, to take advantage of the trauma, the violence, the death um, of these babies, and to project that. Mm-hmm. But Dr. King understood America at that time, and some could argue even today, would not move, would not budge, would not be moved to, to uh, want to see radical change, particularly in the South, and we can argue across the country. Um, but I think to create that, that, that tension, to prick the conscience of America, I think about the presence of mind, the ingenuity at the time, the, the, uh, sort of creativity at the time to say this is what's actually needed. We, we have to respond this way. I mean, we could say we can go back to uh, Mamie Till. Mm-hmm. Same, same thing. That's right. To take something traumatic that we would want to keep private because it's so sacred, her son, and to say, no, 
I'm actually going to use this to confront those who have turned, who have uh, put the blindfolds on, who have turned away from, um, who've chosen to, to dis- stay distanced from what we have to experience, what we have to, to live through. Um, that took a lot of courage. Um, and again, uh, it's, it's a prophetic move to confront America with its own violence. Yeah. When, when um, we, while we grieve. Yeah, while, no, that's the, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's the key phrase, while we grieve. <laughs> while we're yeah. grieving, we're confronting America with these with these images. When we come forward, I want to talk more about that decision by Mamie Till Mobley uh, to put that picture of Emmett's head five, six times, seven times its normal size on the cover of, of, of Jet Magazine. Uh, the decision that she made, along with Mr. Johnson, John H. Johnson, the founder of Ebony and Jet, uh, that decision, of course, impacted the nation as well. Uh, as I said moments ago, when um, America saw these dogs and water hoses being turned on these babies in Birmingham, Alabama, that impacted the movement. And there's some backstory. Dr. King, Dr. King um, um, had some folk pushing back on him about that decision to, to let these kids out of school that day and to use them in that way. Uh, we'll talk about that, his decision, maybe to a mobile decision, and a great deal more, talking in this hour about cameras uh, and how uh, capturing these moments uh, on film uh, have really changed the course of history. The book is called The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier, who we'll also talk about uh, later in this hour. You're listening to Phil Allen Jr. right now as we celebrate the blues during June, Black Music Month, on KBLA Talk for today. It's Ray Charles on KBLA Talk 1580 as we celebrate the blues. Ray Charles did it all and did it all remarkably well. Uh, it's uh, Black Music Month, the last few days of it at least. And so every day uh, this month we've been featuring a particular artist uh, and sharing the best of their uh, musical library all three hours of our program. Today we've given you a variety of artists as we will continue doing so until the top of the hour. Uh, a variety of artists today uh, as we celebrate the blues. And so we've thrown a lot at you from Taj Mahal to Ray Charles to B.B. King to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Nina Simone and others. So we're giving you some of the best of uh, the blues soundtrack uh, in this country. We continue, though, our conversation right now with Phil Allen Jr. in this hour. His book is called The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier. Talking in this hour about uh, the uh, ubiquitous nature of cameras these days, but what happens when these cell phones, these uh, smartphones um, that we use, uh, capture moments that are extraordinary, not at all mundane, moments that end up uh, really becoming uh, tools for justice, moments that change the course of history. And so we'll talk again about Donetta Frazier. Uh, a bit later in this conversation, but uh, had somebody not been there recording uh, the murder of George Floyd, uh, just imagine how different that fight would have been, how much more difficult that fight would have been. Uh, And um, other incidents just like that where thankfully there was somebody training a lens on the injustice that was happening in real time. And as a result, it's made um, life a little bit easier. It's not always that way. Um, we saw the Rodney King videotape 30 plus years ago now, uh, and that, uh, that case did not end in the way that it should have. Justice was not done in that regard. So it's not always the case that just because a lens is trained on something, 
that um, the, the path, the road, the journey to justice will be that much easier. But oftentimes it is the case. And so we're talking in this hour about the prophetic lens, uh, not just the camera lens, but when your lens becomes prophetic. Uh, and uh, again, we're talking about that journey from MLK all the way up to Donella Frazier. Again, our guest is the author of the book, Prophetic Lens, uh, Phil Allen Jr. So, Phil, we were talking uh, moments ago about um, MLK and the decision that he made to 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 use those babies. And I say use uh, lovingly. Uh, I write about this in my book, Death of a King. There's a, a short piece in the book where we I delve into this. But um, Dr. King knew that if the nation saw the ways in which those kids were being maltreated, it would fundamentally uh, impact the movement there. But there are a lot of folk who thought that that was a bad decision. Uh, folks who didn't thought that that our precious babies should be put on the line in that way. Uh, and I recall having a conversation with Credit Scott King uh, years ago, God rest your soul. And she essentially shared to me, she and Bernard Lafayette, one of Dr. King's lieutenants, talking about that moment, shared with me um, King's belief and their belief that if you're... <laughs> If you're young enough to be oppressed, then you're young enough uh, mm-hmm. uh, to be on the front line. If you're young enough to be oppressed, you are young enough to speak out. And clearly, as you saw uh, on the videotape, those young people had no problem. Uh, some of them couldn't even pronounce the word freedom. They say freedom. I won't feed them. I won't feed them. They couldn't even pronounce it correctly, but they knew what they were articulating. Uh, and so those kids had no problems uh, coming out of school that day. Uh, and letting the nation um, see them join the protest with Dr. King and others. Uh, but again, once that lens got turned on them and America saw that, it changed the conversation about the civil rights movement and hastened some meaningful uh, and critical and seminal legislation in this country. So let me just start by, now that I've said shared that story, let me just ask uh, here initially what you make then of the power, the power of the camera lens. Oh, man. Um, well, first of all, when I think about that decision, my first thing that comes to mind is there may, I don't know if there's any riskier job or riskier thing that we can participate in than to fight against social justice mm-hmm. and, and the diabolical nature of what we're fighting against uh, requires um, risky uh, counter moves, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it also, I'm thinking how it formed a generation. Mm. I'm thinking how the message that you're sending, the courage that you're, imp- you're imparting to teenagers and, and kids and the message you're sending to other kids who may be watching around the world, uh, what does that say? How does that form the next generation to continue the fight? Mm-hmm rather than teaching them to shy away, to back away, you're teaching them to stand. So there is this risk, and I'm, you know, I'm not making a decision as to what I feel about it here or there, but how are we forming? That's what I'm thinking about. How are we forming the next generation? We see it today in the BLM marches, mm-hmm. those, those kids on their, on their parents' shoulders or walking hand in hand, and you could see them. Sometimes the camera was fixated on this one young lady, She's just marching, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, no justice, no peace. Um, how is she being formed mm-hmm. to continue to fight when her parents uh, are not, don't have the same energy down the road? That's what I'm thinking about. 
Yeah. Much, of course, has been said about Mamie Till Mobley's decision um, all those decades ago to put Emmett uh, Till's image on the cover of uh, um, Jet Magazine, the Johnson Publications piece. And I had the occasion um, over the course of their lives to talk to Mamie Till Mobley about that decision. Uh, Mr. Johnson was a personal friend of mine. He and I had many conversations about his decision to put that photo uh, on the cover of Jet Magazine of Emmett's head, you know, six, seven times larger than its normal size when they pulled his body out of the Tallahatchie. Uh, in uh, Mississippi. And Mr. Johnson confided in me that he thought long and hard about that. He knew um, as the publisher of Jet Magazine, the impact that putting that photo on the cover might have when the American people saw it. Uh, and he, you know, as as he shared with me, you know, had, you know, first, second, third, fourth thoughts about that decision. But ultimately, he was empowered to put that photo of him on the cover of the magazine because his mother, Mamie Till at the time, later Mamie Till Mobley, insisted that Mr. Johnson show the world, as she said, what they had done to her baby. Uh, but oftentimes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pivoting here, oftentimes when people get certain images, there's a hesitancy, a reticence to even put that imagery out there because they know what's going to happen when they release it. Say a word about um, the decision by Mr. Johnson that he struggled with to make the decision to put that photo on the cover. What do you, what do you, what do you make of that, that internal struggle that he had to do so? Uh, I, I think it's, it's um, appropriate. Um, again, it's not an easy decision to, to, to put that such a traumatizing picture on, on the, the, the cover. But I remember seeing it as a kid, mm -hmm. obviously decades later, but I saw myself. I saw potentially me in that casket. Mm. So the impact that it had on me was, yeah, it angered me. It scared me a bit, but it moved me. Like I felt it in my body. And I think he, he made the right decision or she insisted on, 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 on him doing that was the right thing because based on what was happening during that era, it needed to shock us. It needed to scare us. It needed to, to be a bit traumatizing for the, for the nation. That's the only way we would move. That's the only way things would, would, would change. Um, it needed to be something that confronted those who, again, had their blinders on, who, who were distanced from it. It needed to confront them and make them feel it in their bodies like we had to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I think it was the appropriate decision. I think, yes, it, it, it's hard for, to, to see but look at someone like me decades later as a kid who had to see that image. Yeah, still it impacted didn't by it. Scared yeah. me. It yeah, it impacted me to want to to to, to be to, to be redemptive in my work. Yeah, Even yeah. back then, I didn't have the language for it. No, I get it. I, you know. Yeah, we're 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 just uh, uh, it's, it's been several days now since uh, our friend Civil Rights Attorney Ben Crump filed a motion urging the release of police footage in the heart wrenching case of yet another unarmed black man who lost his life. At the hands of police in Wallace, North Carolina, located about 40 miles north mm -hmm. of Wilmington, the case, of course, serves as a stark reminder that the struggle for justice continues and the significance of cameras in exposing such incidents cannot be overstated. We've uh, conducted this conversation so far on this side of uh, the aisle, as it were. I want to go to the other side of the aisle when we come forward. What we've been talking about is what happens when we train our camera lens on injustice, on oppression. Uh, when we come forward, I want to go to the other side. 
um, police uh, footage, uh, police body cams. We're, we're talking about cameras and how they capture moments. Sometimes it's us, sometimes it's them. But when it's them, we have to fight for them to release that footage. That's what Ben Crump is doing right now. In this case, it ain't the first or last time he'll be in a fight trying to force a police department to release footage that could change, in fact, the course of history. More with the author of the book, The Prophetic Lens, Phil Allen Jr., when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA. Bobby on KBLA Talk 1580 as we celebrate the blues today. Almost out of days here in June, which, uh, as you well know, is Black Music Month. And so we've been uh, featuring different artists all throughout this month all three hours of this program today a variety of artists a potpourri of artists uh as we uh, again celebrate the blues we had a great conversation uh, last hour with dr lewis gordon about the impact of the indelible imprint of the blues on african-american culture and beyond the influence of the blues on every genre of music uh, is undeniable uh, and so we've been uh, celebrating the blues all three hours of uh, today's program um, we continue our dialogue right now with uh, the author of the book, The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency, from MLK to Donnell Frazier, Phil Allen Jr. We've been talking in this hour about the way cameras are just everywhere. They're, they're ubiquitous, really, uh, and the power that's, uh, that's pregnant in those lens um, to capture footage that ends up changing the course of history. Think George Floyd. Think uh, even... Uh, Rodney King, it did change the course of history. Nothing got done in the courtroom, but uh, it impacted the way we see uh, police brutality police brutality, and police violence in this country. Um, so it did have a great impact in that regard. Uh, I note that the officers who are uh, charged with the killing of uh, Tyree Nichols in Memphis, they were in court just last Friday. Of course, uh, all pled uh, not guilty, uh, but uh, thankfully there was some uh, some footage um, some some camera footage in in that uh, murder as well. And again, those officers were in court last week and will be back in court uh, in the not too distant future, uh, facing allegations of uh, the murder of Tyree Nichols. And those officers, as you know, um, are are African American, uh, and so black folk, white folk, um, camera lens uh, trained by us or camera lens on police footage. <coughs> Uh, the camera is um, is important uh, these days when it comes to fighting systemic uh, injustice and to fighting oppression. And that's what this book, The Prophetic Lens, uh, is really all about. And I'm pleased once again to be joined by its author, Phil Allen Jr. So there you have it by way of update what we're doing in this hour. Let's get back now to the conversation with Phil Allen Jr. Um, Phil, let me... Um, let me let me let me do this Tyree Nichols thing first, and then we'll move to the police body cam and the the police footage that I talked about earlier, and uh, the ways in which Ben mm-hmm. Crump and other lawyers have to fight for police footage to be released, uh, which is which is interesting because everybody has said that one of the ways to to address this uh, are are police body cameras, and then when mm-hmm. you have them, you have to fight for them to release the footage. We'll come to that conversation in a moment. Uh, interesting irony there, but. What this Tyrone Nichols, uh, Tyree Nichols case uh, showed us, of course, in Memphis is that, you know, black cops can uh, be as bad as white cops when it comes to uh, engaging in, uh, in ways that we find immoral and unethical. Uh, and uh, in this sense, you have a, a camera lens that outs black folk, which is an interesting way to think about the power of the camera lens. How do you process that reality? Well, one would the, the first thing I think about is power. Uh-huh. Um, 
And even when we, in, in my book, I talk a lot about white power structures, mm-hmm. white supremacy. Um, and it's, to be clear, you, you can be a person of color and still operate in that same, those same power dynamics. No doubt. You can internalize no that, right? And, and, and inflict that. So the issue is not so much who's inflicting the, the pain. The issue is who's receiving the pain. Mm-hmm. And if those cops are uh, inebriated with power and have internalized um, the, the power that's, that's fostered within a white power structure, what is going to happen when they see even their own? Um, it gives them an opportunity to do the same thing, to, pr- to participate in that same injustice. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me um, at all. Um, it didn't surprise me that they moved so quickly and in all five, all these officers were uh, arrested, fired, arrested, except for the white cop who was on the scene as well. Um, so none of that surprised me. Um, I think we've seen that enough in history where those um, people of color, African-Americans even, who have internalized uh, the messaging and um, can be inebriated, drunk with power mm-hmm. and inflict pain. Uh, and we don't know where that pain might be coming from. Yeah. Um, the, the subtitle of your book is The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier. Um, tell me why it was important for you to highlight that name, Darnella Frazier, uh, in the subtitle of your book. And of course, to go into detail uh, about her, uh, her work and witness, as it were, inside the book. Yeah, I, I felt like, one, the relevance of, of what she did, um, booking, bookending, her being a bookend to what Dr. King did during the 60s, 50s and 60s with the camera capturing the violence there. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to show the, the, the longevity, like this is not new. Like what Darnella Frazier did is not a new thing. A lot of people think, you know, what happened with George Floyd, people were so in shock. Well, let's go back. Let's trace back to Rodney King. And then let's go back to the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, Do the right thing was, was, was a, a story that was capturing what happened um, to a young man in, in, in New York, in Brooklyn. And then let's go back to the seventies and let's go back to the sixties. This has been happening. So I thought it was important to put her name um, in that lineage. Um, so people today could understand the young folks, especially could understand um, this is not a new phenomenon. Yeah. Um, she is part of a lineage of this work. C- clearly, Donella Frazier, uh, as she said in, in multiple places, does not regret having shot the footage of George Floyd. Had she not shot that footage, then again, this would have been a much uh, more difficult mountain to climb, uh, so to speak. But I'm thinking about the ways in which when you are the person who's training the lens on the injustice, you become a part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you become a part of the story, and that reality fundamentally changes your life. Donella Frazier's life was forever changed after she shot that footage. I'm thinking now of the immigrant who shot the footage of Jordan Neely being choked to death on the subway in New York. Um, mm-hmm. That that he's been he's been all kind of news stories, and starting with the question, why didn't you do something as opposed to just filming it? Well, filming it was doing something, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that he, he at least I'm glad we at least have that footage. I hope it will make it easier to successfully prosecute Jordan Neely as uh, Alvin Bragg, the DA in Manhattan, is doing right now. And I can give other examples of this. Uh, the guy that shot the Rodney King 
footage. I, I talked to Rodney King's daughter, I guess, last year on the 30th anniversary of uh, of uh, of the of the of the of, of uh, the beating of Rodney King, and she was just telling me. Uh, how she met the guy who shot that footage at one point, how it changed his life. I think he's since, I think he's now deceased, I think. Um, but mm -hmm. the point mm -hmm. is, the point is that whether you're Donnell Frazier or the guy on the subway or the guy that shot the Rodney King footage, when you train that lens, and we all do it nowadays, you don't know what you're going to capture per se, but you're taking a, a risk. You talked earlier about the risk that Dr. King took in using those students in Birmingham to come out so that the nation could, uh, so the reporters could train their lens on the way that they were going to be maltreated in those streets with dogs and water hoses. And again, it changed the conversation. But again, talk to me about um, the risk that that we take when we use our cameras um, to uh, chronicle uh, oppression and injustice. Yeah. You know, when I think about Darnella Frazier um, and others, I don't think so much about any of the backlash that comes for, I don't think first about that. I think about her own internal narrative, mm -hmm. um, having to, to watch, like she literally watched up close and personal, a man die in front of her. Mm. Um, and she had the presence of mind to keep the camera fixed on him and, and Chauvin. Um, I think about what she's carrying. Like that that's the narrative that I'm most concerned about is mm -hmm. what she has to carry for the rest of her life. Um, her 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 publishing that video is her saying, I'm going to not only uh, expose this, but also she's uh, she's sharing the burden with the rest of us. Now we all are responsible mm -hmm. for this the the, the weight. Of, of what she had to carry. So that's what I think about first is the internal narrative that she has to wrestle with mm -hmm. of what she saw. While everyone is, is applauding her yeah. and, and rightfully so for her work, she still has to carry that burden, yeah. right? The, the, other, the other part is um, embodying love. Her presence, I use the term prophetic all the time, her presence was not just prophetic, like being there and, and, and putting a camera out, but she didn't leave. The fact that she didn't leave, the mm -hmm. fact that she didn't walk away is love. It's her standing with mm. George Floyd. Yeah. That's the embodiment of, of solidarity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's all she could do was take the, take the video, record the video. Never quite thought about it that way. I, I say all the time, I always leave the studio smarter than when I came in. Never thought about it in that regard as the embodiment of love and her standing with George Floyd in the only way that she could at that moment. Um, certainly she could not get involved. Um, you end up getting arrested yourself, get a beat down yourself, jumping in, trying to stop cops from doing what they think is their job. Um, but um, to your point, she's standing in the way that she could, um, an embodiment of love with uh, George Floyd. And I also, you know, it's worth noting the point you made um, prior to that, which is that while we talk about what she shot and how that changed her life, I'm glad you brought me back to, 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 to center, uh, because what she actually witnessed was a black man being murdered in front of her. And there has to be some trauma associated with that as well. So I take your point. Um, we're talking with Phil Allen Jr. He's author of the book, The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Donnella Frazier. When we come forward, I promise we'll get to this conversation about what happens when they train their camera 
on their injustice oftentimes. Police footage. We'll talk about that when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. I feel, Alan Jr., uh, it's one thing for us to train our lens on uh, uh, oppression and injustice in hopes that uh, something good will come out of it. And again, uh, your uh, your book uh, references and talks about Darnella Frazier. The book, by the way, once again, is called The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier. So we've talked about Darnella Frazier and others who trained their lens on all kinds of injustice, but it's a bit different story. Uh, when the police, uh, through body cam footage, train their lens oftentimes on their own injustice and then we have to fight as Ben Crump is doing right now in North Carolina uh, to get these police departments uh, to release the footage. So let me just ask a point blank question. What do you make of that irony? And irony is the best word I can come up with that everybody says that one of the ways to deal uh, with police uh, misconduct, one of the ways to hold police accountable is body cam footage. And then when you get the body cam footage, they take their own sweet time about releasing it publicly if they ever do at all. And oftentimes it takes, uh, you know, uh, somebody like Ben Crump uh, raising all kind of cane to force them to release the footage. Uh, what do you make of that irony? And then we'll talk about the power of their lens being trained again, oftentimes on their injustice and bad behavior. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I think about Frederick Douglass and MLK when they both talked about power will never relinquish power on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a power move. When th- the fact that they said this is going to help the situation, this is going to hold police accountable. Um, I think that was, a, to, to, that was said to appease the public. But the first thing that comes to mind for me is this power move to hold or withhold all or parts of the video footage from the body cam was to, to give them time to create a narrative. Yes, 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 yes. So, because it's not just about the image, it's about the narrative that one can create to convince the public to believe their interpretation of events, of mm-hmm. the events. Mm-hmm. And so the longer we can withhold this, the more we can create this narrative, be on the same page, and, th- and then we can release because it's a power move. We can release as we choose um, to, to, to release it. So I think that's part of it. The other part, though, I think the distinction between a Darnella Frazier and a police body cam is what it captures. Mm-hmm. The surveillance footage across the street, the body cam footage caught the images. The body cam was very intimate. It was on their bodies, sure. But what it did not capture was Derek Chauvin's posture. It did not capture his hands in his pocket. It did not capture his, the way his feet were that showed how much pressure he was applying uh, with his knee on Floyd's neck. Mm. And it did not capture his eyes. It took me 10 days to figure out why this video affected me so deeply, differently than other videos. Hold, it took me hold, back hold, 20 hold, 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 hold that thought. I, I want to hear what you... Uh, discovered in that 10 days. I hear the powerful point you're making now about the difference in what we shoot and the way we frame it versus what the body cam footage captures and how it's framed. Clearly it's framed from their perspective uh, because on their bodies. But I hear the distinction that you're making between what everyday people shoot and what uh, police uh, body cams shoot. But I want to hear um, why, it took you so, why it took you that number of days to figure out whatever it is you're going to tell us that you figured out 
when we come forward on KBLA Talk. Just enough time here, about three minutes to hear the rest of Phil Allen Jr.'s story. So, Phil, you were telling us uh, right quick uh, about the difference in the way that we shoot stuff on our cameras and the way the body cam footage uh, presents itself. But you were talking specifically about uh, a 10-day period where you were trying to figure something out. Pick the story up and finish it for me. Yes. Um, so for 10 days, I believe, looking back on it, my body remembered, because our bodies hold memory, my body remembered an event from 20 years earlier that my, the cognitive part of my brain had not remembered yet. Mm. And for 10 days, I grieved. I, this video affected me differently than other videos. You mean the, 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 George, the George Floyd video, Darnella Frazier? George Floyd video, Got it. yes. Okay. I would randomly be in tears. This funk and this heaviness was over me. And it took me back. And then one day I remembered being pulled over, profiled, pulled over in my own neighborhood in Manhattan when I was living there. And I told the driver, my friend, get his badge number and name because he wouldn't tell us why he pulled us over. The officer got angry, made us get out, started searching the car. And he told me, I can take you in for whatever I want to. And there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. And when he did that, he stood in front of me and stared at me as if he was provoking me, wanted me, like he wanted me to flinch. And I refused to bow my head. I looked straight in his eyes and stared right back at him. And I saw, it was like I could see it within him, his soul, the mm. evil that was within this man. Mm -hmm. When I looked at that video and I saw Derek Chauvin, that's what I saw. Mm. My body remembered that look, but my mind had not connected the dots yet. And it took 10 days for me to remember um, that, I, too, had, had seen that look, and, and that's what, what affected me the most. And that's what I mean by when we capture the video, when we take it, I, there's a, we intuitively will put that camera in places that the body cam footage without agency is yes. going to, to capture, yes. right? Yeah. And so that, that's the distinction, right? And that's why it's so important that we um, not be afraid, not get in the way and get arrested and, and, and intervene in that way, but that we do capture, we stand with those who are experiencing the injustice and we capture what's happening yeah. and hold accountable and confront and then broadcast back to the, the nation what, what's happening. Somebody said, if they ask you why we did it, tell them we did it for love. We did it mm -hmm. for love. The book is called The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier. The author of that book is Phil Allen Jr. Phil, enjoyed this conversation immensely. Uh, thank you for it and all the best to you, sir. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My great delight. That's our program for today. Time to make now for the KBLA Midday Bunny Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by Ahead of the Crypto Curve with Anaja Roberts. Old money, new money. Either way, we've got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for tuning in. And until tomorrow morning, and as always, keep the faith.